Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House? You mean the movie with the longest title in history? Yeah. All of film history. The <laughs> longest fucking title. Yes. It's a Netflix original written and directed by Osgood Perkins. Yeah. Good old Oz. Yeah. So I'm Nicole. I'm Topher. And we're the horror babes. Correct. The very, very hot horror babes. Yeah. In all senses of the word, um, obviously. It's it's about 85 degrees here in New York, and we can't have the AC on because we care about our listeners. <laughs> oh, I really hope you know how much we suffer for you. Suffer for your art, I guess. Um, but anyway, so you guys know the drill. We're going to talk about who was in it, who wrote it, do, who did all of this stuff. Um, and then we're going to just go over a little bit of like a plot synopsis. And then we will talk about the themes, talk about basically anything that is relevant and maybe occasionally not relevant to this film, because why not? Yeah. So, yeah, um, <laughs> Topher's the smart one. He's got all of the info on this on this movie on the technical side. So I'm going to let him take it away. I don't know if I'm the smart one, but I am the one with the computer in front of me. Same thing. Yeah. Everyone everyone thinks they're smart if they have a computer in front of them. So exactly. it's chill. So I am the pretty thing that lives in the house. I will get that title wrong again before we finish this episode. I mean, we can just call it pretty thing. Yeah. There might, we go. might be smart. <laughs> so, the 2016 American-Canadian gothic supernatural horror film, I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. You're getting good at it. I'm, I, I've been practicing it all day. Yeah. So, as Nicole told us, it was directed by Osgood, a.k.a. Oz Perkins. He is the son of Anthony Perkins. That's interesting. And then Elvis Perkins did the music. Is that, that is like his, his brother? brother? Yeah. That's his, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Elvis is a musician. Not that Elvis, but this Elvis. Elvis Perkins is a musician, uh, and I think has worked on all of his brother's films. We love. We love keeping it in the family. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's great. As for keeping it in the family, yes, this is. Uh, I guess now a horror family because Anthony Perkins obviously most famously played Norman Bates in Psycho. Yeah. And now his son is directing horror movies left and right. Keep it in and the his family. Brother, his other son is scoring them. So yeah, you know, see what happens. Yeah. Also written by Oz Perkins. The cinematography was done by Julie Kirkwood. You would most likely know her work from most, I guess, most recently. Uh, she did a couple episodes of Insecure a few years ago. Right. Uh, she's shot a bunch of Last Man on Earth. Uh, she shot Bells, Brother, Brother, Sister. Like she's done. A, she's done some you know interesting pieces of work, and then editing from Brian Ufberg. Obviously, as we said, this is a, you know, quote-unquote Netflix original. Yes, one of the many. Oh, my God, they crank these out like a machine. Yeah, I mean, they just buy content, right? Like, they're not really producing well, anything. Yeah, yeah I, not I know really. that. Yeah, but, other than, like, the Adam Sandler comedies. Yeah. They're not producing much. Yeah, and it always, like, sneaks by me. Like, I, I didn't even see this come out. Yeah, it was something that's been on my radar for a while. Um, there's another... Osgood Perkins' debut film, The Black Coat's Daughter, has gotten a lot of pretty cool praise, and I'm a big fan of uh, Karen Shipka's. Yeah. So I wanted, I've wanted, i been wanting to get my hands on a copy of that and watch that. Yeah, it was one of those things that like I saw when it came out that it was a thing that I might enjoy. Mm-hmm. Because we'll get into it, but it's basically a horror tone poem, and that's something I'm into. I've written a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, cool, I could check this out and see what's up with this. Yeah, and a lot of people were comparing it to The Witch, which again we'll get into later. But um, which I find that I find that kind of interesting that people would compare it to that. Now that I've seen it, one way that it is like The Witch is that it has a very tight small cast. Mm -hmm. um, we've got Ruth Wilson as Lily Sailor, who's our main main girl who we follow. Yeah. Um, in this story, we've got Paula Prentice as Iris Bloom. And that was cool because this is like her first film role in, uh, what, 30 years? Yeah, and she's almost unrecognizable in this because of yeah. hair and makeup. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty cool. Um, and then we've got a, of course, when you've got someone who is on the brink of death, you often have um, a, someone playing their young counterpart. Um, young Iris is played by Aaron uh, Boyce. Yeah. 
I think, I think that's how you pronounce it, B-O-Y-E-S. Um, and then, of course, we've got Bob Balaban as Mr. Waxcap. Yes, he's great. Um, we've got Lucy Boynton as Polly Parsons. Um, we've got some other cameos in here, but that's really our solid yeah. cast right there. That's our entire speaking cast. Yeah, yeah exactly. Released, yeah, it had its uh, premiere at TIFF in September mm-hmm. 2016, and you know, a month later was distributed worldwide through Netflix groovy a short runtime as well another 87 minute one yeah let's get into the plot what what the heck happens in this movie so like i said this is essentially a horror tone poem so the plot's pretty light yeah uh, not a lot happens mm-hmm. in terms of like yeah there's not a lot of set pieces yeah right so we meet lily she is a hospice nurse who is going to work with Iris Bloom, a famous retired horror writer. It's supposed to be like a Shirley Jackson type, right? Yeah. She lives in this house in the middle of nowhere in Braintree, Massachusetts. And I've been to Braintree. It is in the middle of nowhere. Well, and apparently she's Iris suffers from dementia. Yeah, which, that seemed kind of... That, that came across. It did, but they'd never... We they were never talking about it, how yeah. they don't name it. They kind of dance around that. But I guess that is in the style of a tone poem. Right. You're 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 occasionally not um, explicit about things because it's too distracting. So definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, I disagree with it, but yeah. Yeah, I'm just I'm only speaking to the style. Right. Um, but yeah. So yeah, Braintree, Massachusetts. Never yeah. even heard of it. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like outside of Boston area. It's uh, Norfolk County. Which is near Suffolk County. I've only been to Boston. Yeah. It's um, a it's just another like bigger Boston area or like smaller Boston area type city that not many people leave, live in. Braintree. Yeah. So <laughs> well well the 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 first shot we've got an a narration over um a breaking the four, fourth wall shot of Ruth our kind of leading actress in this um film which is it immediately sets the tone for it to be a tone poem you already have this like um it it sets it up for you right away Mm -hmm. what it's going to be yeah she enters the house as she's sort of finishing up this beginning narration yeah she says my name is lily sailor i am 28 years old i will never reach 29 yeah (laughs) poetic Poetic, poetic, poetic nonsense. Blah, yeah, blah, blah, it's, blah, it's a blah. whole lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, the very first she meets Iris. She's been talking, uh, and she's you know led into the house by Bob Balaban, Mister Waxcap, mm-hmm. and he gets her all sort of set up. And she has her first day there. She gets into the. She's like hanging out in the kitchen, talking to her friends on the phone. In she, a Grateful Dead t-shirt. I was yeah, so confused as yeah. to what time. This whole thing where she's talking about like, I only, I'm not, not all of my clients require me to wear white, but I do so that they know that I am all, like I cannot be touched. I am everlasting. It's kind of crazy, but yeah. I, I was so confused at like, and maybe this is the point. Maybe it, maybe it's one of those horror films that the point is that it exists outside of a timeline. But I was really confused because all of the technology was very 90s. We've got VHS, cassette. Yeah. Um, but then we've got her in like a Grateful Dead shirt. and I mean, it looks like the Dead shirts I had in the 90s that like my aunts and uncles gave to me. I mean, that's fair. But if you're in a movie, usually things are there for a reason. Yeah. It wasn't just, oh, I'm wearing this because it's my aunt's. That wouldn't be a good choice yeah. via yeah. wardrobe. So is she a 28-year-old former deadhead who's now a hospice nurse? That's or... what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, it, it, it doesn't... I was really kind of just thrown off by that. Um, because if you're going to put someone in a branded shirt, you're making a choice. Yes, that was definitely... A, yeah, you made a decision there and what was the, what was the background. Yeah. Um, but... Anyway, yeah, so she's on the phone talking to her friends, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Uh, and suddenly the phone is ripped out of her hand. Snatched right up. <laughs> and for our younger listeners, phones are were not always these tiny rectangles you keep in your pocket. They used to be attached to the wall <laughs> with a cord, and you had to dial with a rotary dial to your friends. And you had to pay for long distance and all of that stuff. So... That's calling what we cards. mean. Yeah. Oh God, calling cards, motherfucker. She used one. She did. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. 
I was just looking at that. It had to have been the 90s then, because she uses a fucking calling card to call long distance. Yeah, the Grateful Dead shirt is the only outlier, so I, I it leads me to believe this is the 90s. Yeah, I mean, and, like, the Dead were still go- touring and everything. It's not like they've, they're still going. It just also was out of her character. That's what threw me on that, yeah. It was, it was a whole mix of things that only made me think about the t-shirt for that scene, which is <laughs> ridiculous, but it did. Obviously, she gets freaked out. By the phone being snatched from her hand. No. I would stay totally calm, <laughs> cool, and collected if I lived with an old lady with dementia and then a phone got snatched out of my hand in this presumably haunted house. So, yeah, she sees a figure in white, or we see a figure in white walking backwards. She does not behind her. Uh, she then finds some black mold on the wall uh, that she gets very concerned with. I shouldn't say it's black mold. It's a mold that is black. Molly, you in danger, girl. Molly. Ghost. Have you never seen Ghost? Oh, shit. Oh, my God. Wow, I am... You in danger, girl. Yes. <laughs> yes. The wonderful movie Ghost where... Whoopi Goldberg? And she fucks to me more. Yes. I mean, that might have been a better movie. No, but... that literally happens. Whoopi Goldberg is a medium. She is not bringing the ghost into physical presence with Demi Moore. Oh, She's acting. No. We see other scenes where she acts and does like there's the like comedy of it is the parallels of like Patrick Swayze trying to do one thing as the ghost and Whoopi Goldberg is like trying to channel him as the medium. Well, so she definitely, definitely, definitely ate Demi Moore's box. Well, now I need to watch it again with that in mind. There's like literally no way it could not have been the case. Like otherwise, like because like she has to be there physically for the for him to like channel it's crazy yeah so welcome to our episode about ghosts yeah i'm I'm sorry i completely threw us off you just didn't know my reference it's okay we're drinking mezcal (laughs) it's hot as hell in this apartment we're sitting on the floor okay anyway so there's mold on the mold (laughs) so she finds this mold and calls Bob Balaban about it. I'm not going to say his character name because it's a stupid character name. <laughs> Mr. Waxcat. Yeah. It's almost like, did you know that... Some Jane Austen the, shit. Did you know that the the principal's name in um, Saved by the Bell is Mr. Belding? Yeah. So stupid. Mr. Belding. He's also balding. And it rhymes with gelding. Which is a type of horse that no longer has a penis, and he's it's like making fun of him as a man. I have a lot of theories about Saved by the Bell. Wow, okay. Um, we won't get into that. Uh... But did you know that Saved by the Bell would have been on the air at the same time that this movie was happening? She <laughs> finds the fucking mold. <laughs> she finds the mold, for God's sake. <laughs> Molly, you in danger, girl. Bob Balaban's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I guess it's kind of... A cosmetic thing. She's like, cosmetic? And he's like, yeah, you know, the flesh, not the bones. But sorry about it. We'll see if we can get it fixed up. But, you know, you're only here for a little while until she dies. And she's like, well, she's really healthy. It could be like a year or two. Some time passes. Uh, 11 months pass. Yeah. and It's not clear until she, like, it takes a whole scene to figure out that the 11 months has actually passed. (laughs) Yeah, I was a little confused, to be honest, um, with with our timeline there. Lately, Lily has been confused because Iris keeps referring to her as Polly. And she asks Bob Balaban about it and is like, what? what? Do you know any Polly? He's like, I mean, honestly, if you haven't read this book, it's her most famous book. It's called The Lady in the Walls and the main character is Polly. I think you're a dumbass that you're working for this lady and you haven't read any of her work. And then she's like, she's like, oh, well, I scare easy. <laughs> I'd probably be running down the streets. And then he's like, he's like, well, there's a really bad movie on it if you'd prefer that. And, oh, that'd be worse. <laughs> I'm using this because it's like, it's like, girl, you're the one who's working. Shouldn't you know what this lady's mind is capable of? Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm also, I'm, I also just miss me with that. Like, oh, I'll be running down the street. Like, you'll be fine. Jesus. Seriously. So, yeah, she starts trying to read the book. She starts trying to read the book, and she gets freaked out. But finds out that the novel does imply... Like, the the author's note at the beginning is, like, it says that Iris knew Polly. Uh, Yeah. So, in 1813, we see Polly wearing a wedding dress and a black blindfold walking through the empty house under the watchful eye of her husband. 
when then this is all this is all kind of like intercut together. Uh, Lily is washing berries in the kitchen to make a pie, and she starts hallucinating that her eyes are bloated, her arms are bloated and covered in like black mold spots everywhere. It's one of the really cool parts of this movie. It was one of the technical aspects I really enjoyed. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool, pretty freaky. Yeah. And then she ruins her kids with the drop of berry juice that's supposed to be blood. Yeah. Uh, she sees a reflection of this figure dressed in white that we now know as Polly standing in the room, but she turns, there's no one there. You know, classic. Of course. Uh, and finds a moldy cardboard box hidden away in a closet. Inside, mm-hmm. she finds all the rough drafts for the lady in the walls. Um, and she, we, we can tell that she starts suspecting that the movie's, the, the novel was not a fiction, but in fact a retelling. Of yes. a real murder that happened in this house. Yes, because of course, um, you're following Lily's um, point of view here, and your initial thing is to think like, was this person made up? Blah blah blah. Like this, right? Uh, you know, it, is it is it part of her imagination? And then the fact that she has dementia, and that's why she's calling her Polly. Like it's it's less. Right. It feels like less of a warning and more of just like, oh, this like old lady with dementia Mm -hmm. so it's a good tactic for a horror film it's a good you know you're in that pov you're you know you're you're seeing and you're discovering things in real time with yeah um lily so back in 1813 we find the blood we see the blindfolded polly again she's feeling her around her surroundings in this really long sequence um and She's like feeling all around the house and she's in her wedding dress and her groom is standing there with his horrific sideburns. And she finally finds a wall that's been stripped of all of its boards. Uh, it's the same place where we've seen the mold growing in the present day. Mm-hmm. Polly takes off her blindfold. She sees the hole and she's like super confused and looks at her husband. And he bludgeons her to death with a hammer and hides her body behind the wall. Which is basically all we know about Polly. Yes. <laughs> Like, and that Polly whispered the well, to, and yeah, we know that, and then we know the next thing that happens in the movie. Yeah, yeah, which is that Lily keeps trying to talk to Iris with the book, and Iris gets angry at her and says that she, Polly betrayed her and abandoned her, and reminds her that even the prettiest of things eventually rot. She says like all you pretty things, you all you pretty things will rot, or something like that. It's true. Um. Yeah, and so we find out that Polly's ghost was visiting Iris and whispering in her ear. Uh, and that's how she learned. That's how she came up with the book. And the book famously doesn't have the horrific ending that everybody expected it to have. Yeah, that's right. Because Polly doesn't know how she died. Yeah. And she kept, so she told Iris the whole story except how she died. Yes. And Iris always hated her for that. Kind of silly, but okay. Yeah. (laughs) So Lily hears a weird sound, and she goes downstairs and sees that the wallboards were removed and piled by the moldy wall. (laughs) Spooky. Uh, Polly's ghost pops out, and she has a heart attack. Lily has a heart attack and dies. And then there's a whole sequence, some more narrations. We see Lily's ghost descending the stairs, dressed in her nursing outfit, to find her body. And Bob Balaban tries to open the front door. And uh, bonks it onto Lily's body. So she's dead, and Iris is dead, and then it's a few years later, and there's a new family in the house, and Lily's ghost is watching over them. (laughs) Ta-da! That's the movie. That's the movie. So what's cool about this movie is that you've got three women in a... all in different states of purgatory... You've got yeah. you've got a, a, a literal ghost, uh, classical definitions of purgatory, and then you've got someone who is on the brink of death here. Literally, she's she's ill. They've with told dementia, her yeah. with dementia, not too long to live. And then you've got Lily, who in the beginning tells us that she's not going to make it to twenty nine. So as viewers, we're looking at three people in a purgatory. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And so that is kind of an interesting um, part of this movie. And I really did like the... um, Some of the shots in this are pretty cool. Like the... um, uh, 
well, I don't know what you would call this, but like kind of the blurry shots of Lily throughout. Yeah, yeah. Like her and Polly both get these cool... Almost looking like paintings. Right. So they are... There are these scenes throughout... Uh, or really, not scenes. It's just shots throughout. Yeah, where it's a black field. It's the poster of the movie. Exactly, yeah. With their faces blurred. There's one where Lily is like pulling something from her mouth. It looks like rags or like something is coming out of her throat. I thought it was a mozzarella stick, but... It was a mozzarella stick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um... Those are really cool. They're a very specific type of photography that you will recognize and enjoy. Yeah, there there were some like I, I had some notes here that it was like they used a they had some good use of left right thirds. Those are pretty common in horror, but these were done well. Yeah. Um, and going from left right thirds to switching, so basically a lot of a thing you'll do a lot in horror when you're shooting it is that you'll use left right thirds. And I think I've talked about this on podcast before, but in case you're wondering what the hell I'm talking about. Basically, when you look at the final cut of a movie, you're like whatever you're watching, you can look at the screen as being divided into essentially a tic-tac-toe board, right? Like you've got nine squares or nine rectangles, depending on the aspect ratio and all this stuff. Sure. Where your subjects fit. Um, and the rest would be considered like negative space in a lot of cases or something like that. Mm-hmm. So left to right thirds are, you know, you you draw two lines splitting the screen into thirds from top to bottom. Like you draw the lines vertically and it divides it horizontally, right? Mm -hmm. So one thing that people do in horror a lot, it's like a good cheap way of getting, and I say cheap here, meaning like an inexpensive in terms of shot count way Mm -hmm. of getting a good scare or like building tension visually without the yeah without the uh, viewer knowing what you're doing yeah it's, it's essentially like silent storytelling absolutely is to switch yeah. from shooting in thirds to shooting in centers and okay. moving where your subject is but by but doing it with cuts yeah right so we had the there's shots of lily where she's kind of like cozy and comfortable but when you have a character it, it, and i'll get a little more into the theory here when you have a character who's set off of center you assume that something's going to come up and take that negative space because that's the way the brain works. Totally. We want negative space to be filled. Yeah. Because we're so used to like Marvel movies where there's no negative space in the shot whatsoever, right? Every last inch of that shot is full. Yeah. And I mean, I think subconsciously you also just think like there's space, something's going to fill it. This isn't the only thing that's going to happen in this scene. We're not right. just watching her reading a book in a cozy right. position. Yeah. N- Aristotle, nature abhors a vacuum, yada yada. Yeah, right? and this is all completely subconscious. You're not even thinking that you think this. It's just, yeah. it's a tool, just exactly. like you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. So you use it in horror a lot to, well, you use it anytime you want tension. Or yeah. you want the audience to expect something. And it can be like... What's going to happen? They use, yeah. it, uh, they use it in When Harry Met Sally. When you have a character on the left side of the screen and you're expecting a character coming from the right, and they do, mm-hmm. but it gives you that longing, and so it's a it's a it's visual shorthand for like Harry longs for Sally. Sally enters from right. Yeah. Or in horror, it's uh, it's dread. So yes. seeing an unassuming person and having negative space around them makes you believe there's something's going to happen. You can either do a thing or not do a thing. The tension remains either way. Definitely. Right. Now, when you want to do a different version of that, that's when you start switching them back and forth. So you're basically rocking where the the uh, you're basically where the focal point is exactly. Yeah. You're moving your focal point back and forth, mm-hmm. and that really fucks with your head because totally. it's a it's a great way to get a jump scare. The basically the classic setup for a jump scare uh, with a stationary subject mm-hmm. is to have them in the third one of the, the either the left or right third cut. And then cut back to them, and they're in the center, blocking a, a entryway Definitely. that you could have seen before. Yeah. And then you'll cut back, and they'll be in a third again, and you'll see a thing. Yeah, in and the I've doorway. seen that. I've seen that a thousand it's, times. Yeah, and yeah. it's a quick two-cut shot. It's super easy to do. You basically only have to shoot twice. <laughs> yeah. And you've got it. Like Absolutely. you can shoot for thirty seconds, and you have that shot. You know. Yeah. So, it's a really good like economic way of getting tension and jump scares and like classic horror things into a shot so this is clearly like um um julie kirkwood who shot this knew what the fuck she was doing yeah at least like it's not my favorite thing but it's cool 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to be honest, guys. I kind of struggle with this movie. Um, yeah. I, I, if you've listened to us before, you know that I'm very character based and very, um, that, that's where, that's where my interest comes in. Um, and I really struggle with this main character. I don't think she's very relatable. And again, maybe all of what I'm about to say was the point. But what I'm saying is that it didn't land for me. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's very relatable. Um, I, I think it's... I think there's kind of a... Uh, there's a childlike thing about her. With her being 28 going on 29, that's a little strange to me. Yeah. And again, maybe it's supposed to be off-putting. Maybe all of that. I mean, like, the house is literally on the end of, what was it, Teacup Road or Drive or, you know, whatever. Lane something. Teacup something. Yeah, Teacup something, which kind of already puts this, like, precious... Yeah, it's very fairy over. Yeah, it's like fairy tale and she's kind of like this, oh, goodness gracious. Like, she literally calls herself a silly Billy. She Yes, and she does, and I, I will never forgive the writer for putting that in there. A silly Billy, and the language that she uses, like, the... It's very poetic, but in kind of a heavy-handed way, and yeah. I don't see her as, like, a real person in a way. I don't know. Um... Because she's just a little too precious. She's a horror Pollyanna. Yeah. And this is something that I don't think anyone asked for because we have <laughs> a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, um, my whole thing, the whole reason that I'm doing this podcast is to use my little platform to try to advocate for female characters with more agency and integrity and all of that that I talked about. I, I literally told you I felt like I was being punked that this is the next one that we're doing. Right, right after, after XX. After XX, where I, was like, <laughs> where I was like, fuck yeah, at least like none of these characters like fainted or like had a moment like that. They were all just like, okay, this is the situation. I'm dealing with this shit. I'm I'm dealing with it in my own way and being productive about it and not falling into a man's arms. And not that this character does that, but no. she present there's not really a man to fall into other than our um our Bob Balaban character, but if she could, she would, I feel like. And that's the problem. The problem is, is that she has no agency. She's just letting the story affect her. And again, I get it. It's a tone poem, but I'm also like... Yeah. Uh, this is a character from, like, from forever ago that unfortunately we keep telling. Like, women are not like this in these situations. Yeah. It's not realistic. It's... N- there's nothing about it that makes me feel like who wrote it and directed it really has listened to a woman. Wow. It's like this keeps happening and we keep having to talk about it. It's wild and I hate it. And I'm not going to say the person's name who everybody you know wants me to oh say right God. now. This is the case through all so much of horror and it's something that you and i talk about a lot because you and i are both involved in the making of horror as well we don't just review it we do in fact make it yeah in fact before fucking corona the quarantine happened we were supposed to shoot a movie this summer it's true which was going to be a lot of fun and involve two women who had rich lived in lives because i wrote them (laughs) because i wanted them to have interesting backstories that were Maybe not if we're even going to make it to the film, but it mattered because the characters were lived in. The characters were rich. And I'm not trying to, like, puff myself up here and be like, see, I'm one of the good ones. I'm just saying it's so fucking frustrating to me because it's so fucking easy to write people. Yeah. Writing people is the easiest goddamn thing in the world. And it's, like I said before... Sure, maybe this was the whole point of the thing. Sure, and sure. and when I was reading, you know, I like to get I obviously like I like to source opinions from several yeah. different people. I like to know, especially if I feel strongly about something and I 
really did not connect with this movie and did not really enjoy watching it, to be quite honest. I love hearing the opposite of that. I want to know why people really liked it and recommended it and all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so I was reading a bunch of those and the main thing that kept coming up was people were like, oh, you just don't get it. You just don't get it. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that I do. I'm just saying <laughs> that we didn't need it. We didn't ask for it. We didn't. Uh, right. If if she had had a little bit more. I don't, I'm not even going to try to fix this right now. I'm not. I'm not. Because it's a tone poem, I'm not. It, it would be a different movie if I tried to fix it. It's no, no. Because tone poems work in a cohesive manner. They have to be a whole piece. Yeah. It's a thing. Um, but, I mean, mad respect to anyone who makes movies. I, I like, great. But please write your women better. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, I'm going to say some nice things about this movie so that I can't say that... So none of you can say that I wasn't even handed about this. That's Because I'm about yeah. to go the fuck off. But I'm going to say some nice things about this movie first. I can see why people like this movie. And I'm I, here's my list. I wrote it out. I, I did it. For the I record, so can I. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I want to say that I, I am trying to prove that I'm not always overbearing and mean. I'm not trying to shit on this movie. I am just doing what we set out to do. Yeah. I swear to God. I'm not trying to. I just keep doing it. It's like it keeps coming out of me. It's like, I don't know. Gross. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. You couldn't hear that wink. It was adorable. So this movie is completely unchallenging genre-wise, right? Yeah. You know you're in a horror movie from the start. Yep. There is no question of like, oh, it's weird that it switched genres in the mid- middle point. They, they do that a lot. It's great. It's fun. Um, it does just scream, I'm creepy from the jump. Definitely. It demands that you see it as creepy. It keeps insisting that it's creepy. And that's a thing that some people like. There's misery references. There's poltergeist, re- poltergeist references. Mm-hmm. We have a dementia patient. We have jump scares. And we've got a lead who has big Ellen Pompeo vibes. Those are the things that I can see that people really like about this movie. Dread it's also the whole very, thing. Yeah. It's also very gorgeous. Yeah. A really pretty movie. Yeah. I nice soundtrack. Like it, it it's a it's a yeah. solid thing, but it's just yeah. If this is your first tone poem that you've seen, we've all had our own. We were saying Donnie Darko. Yeah, that was um, my first. That was yeah. so many people's first. Then I can totally see you being like, fuck yeah, show me more. Um, oh, actually a lot of people love Gili as a tone poem as well. G- are you are you kidding? No. I mean, people don't love it as one, but it is one. That's wild. Um, <laughs> wow. I've got a whole defense of why she leaves a tone poem, but don't worry about it. That's a hot take, and I love it. And an actor's piece. Ooh. Um, and I'm also the type of person, I'm just going to squeeze this right in here, and then you can go on with your list, I promise. Yeah. I, I'm the type of person who, if this is what gets you into horror... If this is what is your gateway drug, then, like, for lack of a better term, then fuck yeah. Like, great. In the same way that um, I'm a musical theater performer, in the same way that I'm, like, these movie musicals, like, there's a lot of hot and cold reactions to them. But I'm like, look, if this is someone's only way in or just the way that they see it on cable one night in freaking Ohio, like, whatever, then fuck yeah. It, it, it's it's just a gateway into it. So I'm not... But for me, someone who has a certain um, a certain agenda when it comes to mm-hmm. horror and how I want to see it progress, that's why I feel the need to say these things <laughs> <laughs> about women. I need to stick up for yeah. how I'm, we should be represented. I am right there with you, believe me. I mean, I, I'm literally doing the work to be right there with you. Yeah. And I know that you're not coming at me. I'm just, I'm just no. voicing support. Yeah, I appreciate um, it. Yeah. So, here's the things I have to say that are bad about it. Was that the end of the good list? Yeah, I don't have much else that's good to say about it. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> because I, I really tried it. Actually, here I'll say what somebody else said. That was like, I'll say a nice thing that somebody else said. Great. So April Wolf from the Village Voice, which I tend to really like for reviews. I think they have a lot of good ones. Um, She loved this movie. Okay, Um, great. 
and essentially her her she really vibed the tone poem Got like it. was here for it she had some really nice things to say about julie kirkwood's cinematography so she does go back and forth between a deep and shallow depth of field um and when she ever she uses a shallow depth of field there's a lot of hazy blur which is really cool um and it doesn't like just slam the focus to find the subject it lets you wander yes that's cool dope thing to do 100 percent. um she also notes that there's a lot of odd low angles Mm -hmm. um so you're not moving the camera up and down you're only moving it left to right yeah uh and shooting up yeah and not like severe low angles but rather sort of like really really slight ones Mm -hmm. which can contribute to like a gothic feel so that is, yeah, uh, what does she say here? She says, it takes enormous skill and patience for a camera operator and leaves the impression that every scene is a smeared memory. Dope. Totally cool. Love that. Love that. And, like, I loved the tone of the tone poem, right? Yeah. It's the substance, and once I, uh, once I the really... Words. The words. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I really did not like the script, to be honest. I thought it was a complete mess. Oh, it's but, so um. beyond the beauty of like the tone of the whole thing yeah i i there's not much more i can give you as far as like positivity yeah so the last thing that i that this is how april wolf closes the article uh, her review she says i am the pretty thing that lives in the house is the very best of gothic horror wow that which needles at your insecure core and whispers in your ear what you already suspected you will never be all right and I can see where you might have gotten that from this film. Yeah. Uh, you know, but but it's definitely not the best of gothic horror, especially considering uh, fucking Crimson Peak came out a year say, before this. I, I could uh, probably Not list. to mention all the other fucking gothic horror movies we've watched on this. Uh, the same year that, uh, the or within a year of when Ex Machina came out, mm-hmm. and you're going to call this the very best of gothic horror? Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Well, one that has a very interesting female character in it. <laughs> yeah, and this one has oh my, she's so and the fact that she freaking dies uh, of she fucking dies of attack. a heart attack because she which, was so startled. Okay, which okay, <laughs> she they got a set little us, fright. Okay, they set us up for that, right? Yeah, they no, they did the work. Was, like, it was scared. just annoying work. So it made sense in the character that they built. I just think the character that they built is bullshit. <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, i struggle a lot with it because so many people recommended it and you guys know if you've ever heard me talk about horror that my favorite film it like the f- first question what should i watch you're you do a horror podcast what should i watch yeah um my favorite film is the witch and everyone was like oh it's so much like the witch and I'm, and after watching it i'm like no it's. I can see how you thought the aesthetics were like the witch, yes. but in every other way, it is not like the witch. The witch is a period piece, first of all. Yep. Second of all, the women in it aren't aren't Pollyannas. No. Like Thomason, yes, because of the time, doesn't have as much agency. But that's because it's a period piece. It but has she to makes be true to so the, many choices. She in makes that. so many choices. Yeah. Despite the period, she makes so many choices. And this lady is able to make her own choices. She could have quit. Yeah. She could have quit. Yeah. I mean, yes, we wouldn't have a movie and all of that. Sure, you can come back at me with Fine. that. But I'm just like, she made no decision for herself. She wasn't even engaging with the story. Yeah. It was happening to her. And that, I'm getting hot. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> On that, I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm feeling a little hot. So here's my actual thoughts about the movie. Great. Not Village Voice. Yeah. This movie is sweatier than I am right now. In the end of June in New York City in an apartment with no fucking air conditioning. This movie is sweatier than I am on a long run. I mean, that's, that's saying a lot. I, yeah. It's, it works so goddamn hard to be creepy and never is 
There is no point in this movie where I felt suspense, where I felt fear, where I worried about what's going to happen to the characters. One, the fucking main character announces that she's going to goddamn die at the end. Yeah, I, I didn't. Hate that. I didn't love that it's either. One of my least favorite tropes. Sorry, I didn't I'm getting love that real either. hot. <laughs> the only th- like, there's very, very few times that I've enjoyed that. One of them is John dies at the end. Sure, the title is literally a spoiler. Yes. Great, cool, cool. but that's clever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah saying i am 28 i shall never reach 29 is fucking ludicrous it is bad sweaty story writing it is bad sweaty dialogue and it is a bad sweaty delivery of that line Ugh. no part of that except the cinematography was good there are many ways to tell stories and there is not one right way to tell stories correct you and i have been talking about this we've been very vocal about this online as well there's a very big problem. We talked about this in in, X, in our XX episode, and we've talked about this off mic as well, mm-hmm. that thinking that there is one way to tell stories is what keeps diverse creators out of this field. It is what makes sure that women don't have voices in this field. It is what makes sure that minorities don't have to work in this field, particularly black voices aren't allowed in the field. Mm-hmm. Like, how much work did Jordan Peele have to do to get into horror? He had to work years and years in comedy and write, you know, the two of the best horror movies in recent memory Absolutely. I'm very excited to cover his two movies. They're both amazing. They're two of my favorites. Coming soon. Like, cannot wait. We're working on them. Yeah. But it's it's just... It is so frustrating when when stories are told badly. And the problem is is that we keep greenlighting all these production houses. I'm going to lose so many fucking jobs with what I'm about to say. These production houses need to stop greenlighting movies on vibe alone. Neon Demon was like this. Mm-hmm. Neon Demon was a garbage tone poem too. Yeah. I'm not going to cover it on the podcast because I have nothing good to say about it that doesn't involve Jenna Malone. Right. Like, yeah. that was just a, it was a shit movie. It was a dumb idea. It was not fun to watch. It was really bad about sexual assault. It's like, yikes! and this movie is the same idea. It's not as egregious as any of those things because it's just flat. Yeah. And guys, full disclosure, we both really wanted to like it. We don't like to be, we're not negative people. We don't want to be negative. I love loving things. I know. We want to be thrilled with, you know, what we're talking about. And so many times we are. We So many times we set out to watch a movie and we are thrilled to talk about it um, on the podcast. I have been dreading this recording all day. (laughs) It's just really, it's just really tough. Yeah. uh, You've heard us when we get excited about a movie. I get just bonkers flipped out of so stoked to talk about cool movies, to talk about cool shots, cool writing, yeah. interesting flips and inverses and acting and effects. And this had none of that. You you need to develop something. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why I have trouble with us telling these stories in the same way and hearing it from the same perspective all the time. Yeah. And you all know who I mean yes. by that. Um, I have been very vocal about that. Um, like, I can't tell you how excited I got by... Um, just, like, whenever there's the prospect of a woman of color writing and directing a horror film. Like, it 100%. gets me going, that yeah. thought. And I'm like, yes, Yes, is there a GoFundMe? Is there like is, like <laughs> Just take my fucking take money, man. Take my money. I want to hear those perspectives. I want to see what You want me to hold a camera? I can hold a camera. I, I can I can run boom. I can yeah, do fucking crafty. I will like, do whatever. It's <laughs> I I want to see it so bad and I want to take action on it. I don't want to just be on this podcast saying that I want it to happen. So, yeah, I what frustrated me about this movie is that it's just a bunch of fucking nothing. Like, I love tone poems. I love light narrative, low dialogue art films. Yeah. We just watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and I fucking loved every second of it. Highly recommend. It's great. That movie was the same sort of tone poem of like you've got three women in a house, each one has their own lived in story and purpose and all these things. And you throw in a little horror in there, great. 
Actually, you've got four women in that movie, but three mm-hmm. main women in that movie. And so, like, you've got all of them are individual. They're different. They look different. They act different. They have different desires and motivations. And it's... That movie, if you had added in, like, a little bit of a creep factor, would have been a much better gothic horror tone poem. Oh, I definitely agree. Yeah. This just failed to be anything. It just, it was just a lot of nothing. Yeah. And I'm so, this is coming from someone who fucking loves Terrence Malick. Yeah. I saw The New World in theaters. It was not great, but I went and saw it because I love this genre of filmmaking. Yeah. This like subgenre of tone poems and like how to just sort of like make a movie out of a vibe. <laughs> yeah. And you, but, and that's how, that's how I've always connected with the process as well is that it literally can just be like from a dream that you had that isn't even you know what I mean that isn't even relating like nothing happens in the dream but you just build this world in your subconscious and then it becomes a movie like a lot of literally I've written half my fucking pieces yeah and I'm I'm so open and down for a tone poem but there needs to be there needs to be something yeah for me to latch on to and, you know, I <laughs> never call a place in a film that's a horror film, that's a haunting film, never, ever use the phrase, this is a house of stories. Oh, God. It's so fucking frustrating. And the, the <laughs> I, uh, I was in my cups, we'll say, last night, and I just found my last note that I wrote in here, and it's... If this ends up being another horror writer's stories come true arc, I'm going to shit down the writer's throat. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> I'm so, so, so tired of that. It's so, it's sweaty. You did so much work for nothing. Yeah. It's like, I, I again, because yeah. that's, I, to spoil a movie, that's what fucking happens, is that this, la- this lady Iris just like wrote this story and it was maybe true or it maybe wasn't, but maybe it became true by the power of words maybe. And like fuck anybody who says like they talk shit on like penny novelist horror writers. Yeah. And then end up writing something in that exact same style. Yeah. Like don't shit on Pulp Fiction. You can shit on the movie. I love the movie. You can shit on the movie, but don't shit on the literal type like subgenre of Pulp Fiction. And then write pulp. Yeah. That is some... That that will never not be funny when people do that. Because mm-hmm. they're just showing their asses. It's one of those things of like, Jesus Christ. You, do you not... Did you not like read your own work? <laughs> because that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I said, this the script is very heavy handed. And I might have liked it if I was reading it. Because then I could imagine it myself. Like, like if I was reading this as a long-form poem, um, might have been a little bit cooler. Um, also, something that... I believe it was um, one of the writers that Roger Ebert said that this film would be... would be ten times more effective as, like, a, um, a short... Yeah. And like we didn't need all of that space, and I oh, agree with so that. Full. Yeah, I if agree you did with this that. In Twenty minutes would have been dope. Yeah, I think because it's already short for a film for a full length film anyway. Yeah, it's eighty seven. It's like like eighty eight is the shortest it usually gets, and so for the fact that it's a whole minute shorter. Yeah, so I was feels I, like four hours. I definitely agree with that. I think you could cut out all the crap and just leave all of our good like you know meaty parts that are in this, and just make it like a solid twenty minutes. I'd even say you could have the movie the exact same length and not have a single word said. That would and be that would cool be a too. Because then you would leave it more up to um, someone's interpretation. Because that's what it is. It kind of wades in this pond of like it's telling us what's happening, but a not a lot is happening. So then you're wondering, do I need to infer more than I am? Right. You're like, is this going over my head, or am yeah. I really actually perceiving what's going on? But not a lot is going on. Which one of us is stupid? Is it me or the writer? Ugh, some, uh, both i don't know yeah um so it's to to kind of tie up in yeah. an in a ugly little bow my thoughts of this film is that wanted to like it but the lead character had zero agency and i struggle with that as a viewer 
Um, and I think it just could have honestly been smushed <laughs> into a 20 minute thing and been a lot, a lot cooler because it was really pretty and it's a real, it's an interesting idea. I just don't really think I like the execution of it all. Mm-hmm. My thesis statement is don't be a coward. Just fucking stop writing dialogue. Be a hero and give us silent films back. I want them. Like this movie would have been so fucking good if it was completely du- no dialogue. Yeah. That would have been dope i would have loved that but instead they wrote a bunch of shit dialogue and terrible ideas if you this is not the worst movie i've ever seen no but it's super fucking boring there are so many different voices that could be heard mine is one of them but i every person i've worked with as a writer or director has a better idea than this just sitting in their in their computer Right. And that's what frustrates me. That the the fucking nepotism got this guy this deal. Yeah. This is his second film. So just one last thing that I wanted to say and then we can sign off here. Um please everyone grow some balls to write some real women in their films. <laughs> women go through so many different things. We're not all in this like men's box. <laughs> I'm sorry. You hear that, J.K. Rowling? You hear that, J.K. Rowling? Women come in all different shapes, sizes, whatever, experiences, etc. So, please, talk to other women. (laughs) And just hear about their experiences and really listen and then maybe write about it or maybe have them in the room with you. Weird crazy Weird. insane who maybe would do have it? Th- maybe have them read your script maybe like i could go on about this. sorry y'all i've got to gotta, i'm just gonna up. go grab some sticks uh some fire <laughs> i'm gonna burn the switch at the stake i'm very sorry i'll be back <laughs> next week it'll just be me from now on she's a witch uh, but no just please 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 if if anyone is out there listening who's a writer <laughs> just think twice about writing women into a box into this Pollyanna everything just yeah, happens we, yeah. to them the, the Pollyannas and the Mary Sues and the yada yada yadas like it's I'm just a bit I'm fucking over it it's not interesting it isn't like it's it's just so shocking that so many men don't realize that they can write women just the exact same way they write men yeah, where their experiences inform who they are right that they have a li- <laughs> that they've that they're lived in like yeah they can be flawed they can be douchebags they can be like genuinely sweet good godly people they can be evil villains and it doesn't have to come down to you know an ex-boyfriend or their period or that they got raped joss whedon like it's so many things yeah and again i fully understand that in a tone poem you don't want too much background or else it ruins the idea of a tone poem but the like, so we don't know a lot about Lily. But the things that I do know about Lily, I don't give a fuck about. Yeah, they're give, boring and it's bad. <laughs> give me something. Yeah. But anyway, we'll go ahead and sign off there. Yeah, I'm sweating like a, I'm sweating like hell. So great. Uh, All right, as always, I'm Nicole. I am a very very sweaty and angry Topher. Yeah. Um, we're the Horror Babes, and you can find us at Horror Babes Podcast. On Instagram, you can find us at Horror Babes Pod on Twitter, and we are horrorbabespod.com. That's our website where you can always find um, where you can always find our episodes. Yes. Um, and where else to find us? And right now we have a link tree for the foreseeable future. We're gonna have a link tree up on there. Most of definitely places to donate, particularly Keep to support Black Lives and Black Trans Lives. Mm-hmm. Um, they matter. They're important. Stop pretending they aren't thousand percent uh so keep fighting the good fight my friends (laughs) we're right there with you donate we're gonna keep giving you all the resources that we come across in our link tree link in bio all that good stuff hell yeah all right bye Bye, babes. babes